ready to introduce our guest speakers here. Um, you know, just, just to kind of introduce us a little bit. So we're journeying through the Beatitudes a little bit this year. Um, if you were with us last year, we went through some of the virtues. So um, a while back, I asked uh, Mary and Ali to talk about blessed are the poor in spirit. In prayer, it just seemed right for them. Um, I got a chance to spend you know, some time with Mary at Damascus when our kids were going to a Catholic youth summer camp. And we just got to talk a lot um, just about what God's doing in our lives. Um, and just came across their, their trust in God, right? And I'm sure some of you know them. They've been married 16 plus years, Catholic converts. Um, but, you know, all of this, and, and they're raising a family, they're moving, military family, they're moving from, I imagine, one place to the other. And then Ali gets this great idea to start a school. <laughs> and it just came across to me that that is trust that I wish I had. Um, so, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, it means a lot of things. But at its real, boil it down to just trust in God, right? Trust in God. And you might not think what, you know, maybe you're questioning, what do the Beatitudes have to do with marriage? Believe it or not, the Beatitudes are one of the gospel readings that we can read at marriage, right? Um, and it, and, it, and it's, it's so powerful. Um, you know, it goes into blessed are, are, are those who hunger, who thirst, and it goes into it. Um, and you're the salt of the earth, right? You're the light. Like, we don't think about that, about our marriages sometimes, that we're light to the world, Right, the world puts so much on us, and we're influenced by that so much. And trusting in God is just not, it's not a, an easy thing, but it's not a thing that's looked upon so kindly. Like, how can you have that trust? You know, go for your career. You know, go for, you know, more financial success. But trusting in God kind of puts that to the side. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're perfect, and I'm sure Mary... And Lee will tell you that they're not perfect, but they try. Right? They try um, to trust where God is leading them. Um, and I think it's powerful to hear their, it's going to be powerful to hear their journey to their experience. Um, you know, just what trust looks like to them, um, what they've been through, of course. Um, and, you know, just, you know, just so we can hear that and how that might impact us in our own lives, like, where is God leading us, where is he calling us to trust a little bit more? Um, I mean, one, I, I had already asked uh, Ali and Mary to speak before they adopted Isabella, and I think that's just another, another, you know, trust in there, and I was, and I, I remember I saw, like, back of the church, I saw Mary with an infant, but then it just, <laughs> I'm not sure we'll hear more about this, but it just, you know, I'm, I'm just floored by the trust that they have, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that um, you guys will really get something out of this, so please uh, join me and welcome them to speak to us tonight. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, friends. Uh, we're so glad and privileged to be here. Deacon, thank you for inviting us to open up our lives a little bit uh, and to share it with you tonight. And uh, our prayer is that there's something, at least one thing that you hear tonight that you can take home uh, and bring into your marriage uh, and just, you know, just make it that much better uh, as you are going on this journey of life together. And um, hopefully we have fun along the way. Uh, so we'll start off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, please come be with us tonight. Just please uh, you know, come into our, our words and, and our thoughts and into our hearts, to the hearts of everyone here. Help us to communicate the message that you want communicated to the hearts that need it tonight. Please give us that grace that we need um, to do your will. In your most holy name we pray, amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. <coughs> Okay, so Deacon did a good job of uh, talking about Beatitudes. We'll give you a quick uh, update. Yes, uh, first and foremost, 
Uh, priority is to admire the cute baby up here. If you get as many glimpses as you can, she's so cute. Um, we will give a brief uh, introduction about who we are. Uh, we'll briefly go into some theological background of Beatitudes and how they apply to marriage, very briefly. And then we'll focus on poverty and spirit. And then we will uh, talk about that in the story of our lives. Uh, and uh, we'll hit that. And then you can marvel at Isabella. You know, if things start to get boring up here, just focus on the baby and you'll have a good time tonight. So. Um, okay. All right, so we had some friends um, describe us as the Gafari crazy. Um, or, yeah, it was the Gafari. Affectionately uh, dubbed Affectionately, it. it was like, yeah, this is the Gafari crazy. And so I said to Father Eric, I said, Father, can you believe that they, like, call us the Gafari crazy? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> I could kind of understand that given the orbit around your family. And I was like, the orbit? I'm like, wow. Okay, so... Um, so as, as uh, Deacon kind of mentioned, um, my name's Mary, this is Ali. Um, we are a former military family. Um, Ali is a former F-18 pilot. Um, we met when um, he was already in the Navy, so I knew what I was getting into uh, from that standpoint. Um, we have uh, four, four, <laughs> did you notice I almost said three? Four beautiful daughters. Um, we have three dogs, also girls, so Ali does not stand a chance. <laughs> um, we um, have also fostered five um, children, which you can see in this picture here. Um, and this picture is super fun because um, our two, uh, Barry and Kinsley, had been uh, with us for about three and a half years. Um, and they are reunited with their mom, and we met them at the zoo. Um, and so their mom is in there too. So that's been really nice to be able to maintain um, that relationship. Um, as Deacon alluded to, we started a school, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, but that's uh, Divine Mercy Academy. It's in Pasadena. And then um, Elise said that I had to say something about myself, so that picture is like the coolest mortar and pestle ever because I am a pharmacist. So there you go. <laughs> and um, this is our most recent family picture up here. This was when Isabella was about three weeks old. Um, so we had the opportunity to have Isabella since birth. Um, and so that's been really nice. All right. Um, do you want to? No, we don't want to talk about that yet. There you go. All right. Talking briefly about beatitude, just make sure we're on the same page. So beatitude is a happiness or a blessedness, the kind of happiness you would have in heaven. Uh, and it is just... The sense of just, there's a sense of peace, a sense of joy. Um, and it is, it's not a rule of behavior. It's more of just an attitude or a disposition that one has uh, going through life. Um, and it is directly connected to marriage. Let me go to the next slide, sweetie. Um, in that these are road signs that show you the way uh, in your marriage. Uh, and, and for us tonight, we're excited to talk about um, uh, our, our selection. So um, go ahead, sweetie. Uh, so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and so what does that mean? As Deacon mentioned, it's kind of a, tr it's a deep trust and reliance on God uh, and not on ourselves. Uh, and there have been times in our lives that we uh, did not do that so well, uh, but as we have gotten um, older and spent more time together and grown deeper in our, our love of the Lord, uh, we've had to rely on God and he has not abandoned us. Uh, and in fact, we've grown to trust and trust and, uh, and built that uh, relationship of trust with him. And so we're excited to kind of tell you about some of those stories. Secondly, there's an element of just humility and detachment uh, from the world, from the goods, uh, from wealth, uh, from honor, uh, and, um, and just being in the bright lights. Uh, we don't need those things. We simply need God. Uh, so, okay, sweet. All right. So we... Are, I'm going to talk about trust in God first, um, and, and really it's about kind of a, a total abandonment um, of all the things in this world and turning everything we have towards God um, and turning towards God first for all of our needs um, and for all of the things that, that we look at on a day-to-day -day basis, minute to minute sometimes. <laughs> um, and then we turn towards our spouse. And in that abandonment, after we turn towards God, we turn to our spouse. And then also, like I said, that detachment um, from all those wealth and honors and things like that. Um, we, we're going to talk about our engagement here. Is this where we're going to talk about it? Or is that on the next one? I think that's later. Okay, that's yeah. later. <laughs> all right, there you go. Oh, here. 
This is it. So turning towards God above all over, all others. Um, and so our relationship with God is number one. And, and when Ali and I first met each other, we were on a journey um, for that. You want to talk about yourself first? Sure. Very briefly. Um, so I grew up in Vermont. Um, both my parents were teenagers. My mom was 15 when she got pregnant with me. Uh, my parents did the best that they could with the situation they had. They divorced shortly after. My mom got involved into substance abuse uh, problems uh, and then eventually became clean, met my stepfather. Things straightened out from that point uh, moving forward, but God was absent uh, in my life. I mean, acknowledgement of God. God was there the whole way, but for me, I had no sense that God was there. There was no relationship between me and God, uh, even though he had me uh, in his hands. Um, and then not until high school, uh, when my mom said, I can't let you out of the house without a dose of God. Uh, and then by that time, I rejected God, and I didn't want God in my life. Uh, and so, so I became an atheist uh, through most of my childhood and into college. And then I had this radical conversion uh, to the Catholic faith uh, between starting in college and into a couple of years after college. Um, but felt very um, uh, reliant on myself. And so our, our family grew up in poverty, uh, and my parents said, you need to strive to be the best that you can academically, uh, so you should, and you should strive to be financially independent. So you're, you want to be a doctor, uh, and so go to medical school. And so that was my plan. I was going to be a, a, a wealthy and famous uh, brain surgeon was my plan. That was my plan, uh, going to college. And, and that changed uh, in, in the middle of college uh, when I diverted actually one of the military to pay for medical school and then ended up seeing this beautiful image of an F-18 on the wall and said, I don't want, I'd rather do that than, <laughs> than go to medical school. So followed that path and then God uh, was appeared shortly after that. So, Do you want to talk about how you got stationed? In at the last, so yeah, so you finished okay. flight school. So I went through flight school, I se uh, selected, uh, it came up for selection at the end of uh, about a year and a half of training. And all I want, I wanted to fly F-18s, I didn't want to fly anything else. Uh, and I wanted to fly Super Hornets. They're the brand new, you know, hot off the press airplane. And I wanted to fly single seat Super Hornets in Virginia Beach. Uh, and I didn't get that. I got, you know, not my second or third or fourth or fifth. I got my sixth choice. Uh, and that was uh, Baby Hornets uh, out of Lemoore, uh, which I was disappointed at. Um, but I was, I was, I'll do this. So I went kind of dragging my feet to Lemoore, California. But within about three months of showing up there, I met Mary. So God had better plans for me. So. <laughs> All right. So um, backing up a little bit, I was raised in the Methodist church. And um, I was always raised um, going to church. I went to Sunday school, went to youth group, was very active in college. I still um, stayed active in the, the Methodist church that was near um, the college that I went to. Um, after, uh, well, during college, um, I actually um, was dating a gentleman and we ended up getting married right after college. Um, he was going to a Baptist church, so when we moved to California, um, we were going to um, a Baptist church out there. And um, my, my father's joke was always um, that um, my ex-husband... Um, had a memory problem because he kept forgetting we were married. And so after about three years, we ended up, um, you know, after a lot of counsel through my church with my pastor, we ended up um, divorcing. And, um, I, you know, I thought, oh, you know, life's over. I'm 28 and I'm divorced. So this is awful. This isn't what God wants. God doesn't want divorce, doesn't, you know, and all these things. And so, um, and I was out in California and about, um, I don't know, so California has like a six-month mandatory waiting period. So we'd been separated for a year, year and a half, filed, he didn't acknowledge, finally he acknowledged, and then we were in the six-month waiting period. So we were about four months into that six-month waiting period, um, and that was in the October of 2000-something, five? five. Thank you. <clears throat> um, <laughs> and um, I went back to South Dakota to visit my parents, and... Um, and in that time frame also, um, my church, the, the Baptist church that I was going to, my friends were really the hands and feet of Christ for me. Um, really, really just modeled that. In fact, um, there was a situation when I had, um, I had to go up to Oregon to visit my sister for a weekend. And um, it was the same weekend that my house was closing. Like we had to sell the house that we had been living in and, and um, 
and I was moving to a new house. And so I just asked my pastor, you know, can you just get the keys from my realtor? And I put all my stuff in boxes and I put it in a trailer on my friend's property. And I was like, I'll just figure it out when I get home from, from Oregon. And when I got home, they had moved everything in for me. Um, so they really were the hands and feet of Christ for me. So um, anyway, so I went to visit my parents in October, and then I came back, um, and that's, I'll let you start. So there we were, uh, on the tarmac <laughs> in Phoenix, Arizona. I was on the airplane, playing a video game on my computer, and this beautiful woman steps onto the airplane. You can imagine the light and the wind and the hair just kind of blowing. Uh, and we lock eyes, and she smiles at me, and I smile at her, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if that... Lady's gonna sit next to me, that would be amazing. And then she just walks past me and I think, all right, well, I guess that's it. So, so I just go back to what I'm doing uh, and we fly uneventfully to Fresno. It's uh, nine o'clock or so on a Sunday evening. I had a couple flights the next day and I was just immersed in just thinking about that. I'm walking slowly to the baggage room. It's a very small airport uh, in Fresno. Uh, and so I'm just walking and then there's that girl. She comes like strutting by me, just like a very like fast little, just whatever, just a I little walk, walk cute little walk. No, and she walks right past me. Like, hey, there's that girl again. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so we're both standing there at the, the, the baggage uh, terminal and just kind of waiting. And we're just kind of waiting for our baggage to come. And there's really nobody else there. Um, and then one of the uh, conveyors starts moving around. So we both walk up together uh, to, to get our our suitcases and then realized at the same time that that wasn't for our flight. It was for the other flight that came in that evening from uh, into Fresno. There's only two baggage claims. Yeah, there was very small. There's literally two. Very chaos. small. But uh, anyway. So, so we were embarrassed and both laughed about it. And, and so he said, I don't think that's our bags. I said, no, I don't think so either. And we just started chatting, making small airport chat. And I'm just thinking like we're passing the time, you know. And then um, his sword comes out. And I'm like, this is weird. And then he very humbly says, I'm a naval aviator. Uh, so we, we, need to, we have to back up a little bit. We have to back up a little bit. So I'm going to tell you my side of the story here, all right? So we were chatting. She was laughing at all of my jokes. She was totally into me, all right? And so I was asking her... So what do you do for fun around here? I was passing the time while you wait for your bags. Yeah, and clearly enjoying the conversation. I said, so what do you do around here for fun? She said, I love hiking and whatever. And so we had a great conversation. I do a ring check. There's no ring. Uh, and then I said, okay, uh, did you go hiking with your boyfriend? And she said, no, uh, with my uh, husband, but we're in the middle of a divorce. And so I had a moment there where I had to think, gosh, do I keep talking to her or do I not? Like, ah, oh, heck, we're just going to do it. So I just kept talking to her. And then as the conversation goes on, then the baggage starts coming around. And yes, my sword did come out. I just come back from a, a wedding. And in the military, when you're at a wedding, you do a sword arch. Uh, and I said, yes, this is my sword as I'm pulling it out of the thing. Uh, and she said, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a naval aviator. I didn't say it like Tom Cruise. Yes, I just he did. I'm a naval aviator. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah. So then I thought, this is my moment. Uh, and I said... Can I have your phone number? And I've never done this before. I've never asked a woman for a phone number. I said, can I have your phone number? And I totally panicked because who thinks they're getting hit on at an airport? <laughs> Not me. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and so I, I foolishly gave him one because I can't think of a lie fast enough. And so two or three days later when he called, the first words out of my mouth were, I am in the middle of a divorce. I'm not dating anyone right now. This is not, you know, not going to happen. And in just a stroke of genius, which I'm not known for, I said, well, I just want to be friends. I'm new to town. I'm looking for a friend. Would you mind showing me around? Completely lying through my teeth. I definitely wanted to date her. But, uh... And obviously, then I felt really um, prideful as I was just so presumptuous that he was you know, calling to date. And so then I, I'd kind of been knocked down a couple, couple notches off of that. And so then I said, okay. And so we spent the next couple months doing non-dating things. Um, and then about three months into that, my friend Jody said, you know, you guys are dating. And I was like, no, no. And so I went to Ali and I said, um, my friend Jody thinks we're dating. And he said, well, I sure hope so. Not in that voice, not in that voice. <laughs> So around that time, I got Mary some jewelry, and I said, I love you. Uh, and she said, 
Love is a choice, <laughs> and I choose you. And I felt Aww. empty inside because I was like, what does that mean? I, I, you don't love me as much? So, but that comes from, you know, my background and my baggage, right, of having, you know, been in a, in a previous marriage and a relationship, and knowing that marriage isn't about feelings, right? Marriage is about a daily choice to, to sacrificially put yourself out there and to love and to serve um, the other, so... And then I had service selection. I had to select where I was going to go. And I, there was a possibility I might end up in Japan. Uh, and so I asked Mary, would you come to Japan with me uh, if I selected Japan? Because I, I want to continue to see you and date you. And she said, no. <laughs> Why would I move to another country? <laughs> see, we I, just met each other like five months ago. <laughs> I, I knew that I wanted to marry her uh, from our first date. And so for me, that, it was a big deal. And I would have uh, been glad for her to move to me. So... So we continued to acknowledge, well, I started to acknowledge that we were dating at that point. And then about, um, I don't know, two or three months into that, you started, you had, uh, you know, a couple of detachments and you were starting to get ready to deploy. And then he asked me to go through um, our CIA, um, not to join the church, but just to see where he was coming from. <laughs> Again, um, no, he no, had no. an My ulterior second motive. and only stroke of genius. <laughs> the, the only thing we fought about was theology. Uh, and I had come into the church about two years before, and I was really big into apologetics and argumentation, and I really wanted to, like, you know, you know. He was using the sword of truth on, on me <laughs> instead of love. Um, and so I would come home from RCA, and I would say, well, I think it's OCIA now, but I would go, you know, we learned about this, and this is beautiful, and had, like, this is amazing, and there's so much beauty and, and fullness in, in the church. And he's like, yeah, I said that to you last week. And I said, oh, no, you did not. Because <laughs> if you had said that to me the way you said it last week, we would have not had the conversation that we had. Um, but uh, as we, as we um, continued to go through, my, um, the director of religious education at the, the parish that I was going through um, RCA with, she was... Um, a beautiful woman who came to me and said, I will be your sponsor. And, um, and then she walked with me and, um, and she asked me, you know, she said, I don't want you thinking about joining the church until you can join the church, um, even if he were to get in a crash and, and not be around anymore. Um, she said, I don't want you joining for him. And so it wasn't until I was able to say, even if Ali and I weren't getting married, I would, I would want the fullness of this faith. And so... Um, so before we got um, engaged, no, it was after we were engaged, but before we got married, um, I, was I was able to join the church in Easter of 2007, and then we got married in J June, June 30th <laughs> of 2007. Oh, yeah, so obviously part of the OCIA process was going through the annulment process, and so, um, which was an extremely um, healing process for me. Um, and so um, the priest at the parish that I was going through OCIA had worked with me and I um, you know, did all the questions and filled out all the paperwork and went through the process and you know, really spent time thinking about the, the process because again, like I had said, you know, growing up in, in um, the Protestant faith um, that I did, you know, divorce wasn't, wasn't really an, an option either. And my parents um, had been married would have been married, I guess, before my dad passed away, would have been married for 50 years. Um, and so, you know, that's the example that I had. And um, so I felt like a failure. Um, the perfectionist in me felt like a failure. And so I really, really struggled with that. And um, the annulment process was very healing um, for me on that end. Um, I was able to understand what true marriage and covenantal marriage is supposed to be like. Um, and, and I was able to understand that um, because of my ex-husband's, you know, addiction and the reason why he was unfaithful, um, that he wasn't of free will to be able to fully give himself and that he was able to love me the best that he could, but that wasn't um, how God calls us to love each other. And um, during that, it was, um, it was very freeing for me, and it was also, that's, that's how I was able to really let go and be able to forgive him as well. Um, and so I went through that whole process, you know, finally got to the last time, and I had to set up with the, um, uh, I guess, the witnesses. Um, and it turns out that my ex-husband's brother's wife 
um, was Catholic. And so I had called her and said, would you mind being a witness for me for my annulment? And she said, absolutely, no problem. By the way, did you know that all three boys were actually baptized in the Catholic Church? And I said, no, I didn't know that. Um, and so I went to Father, and I'd handed in my 11 pages of essays. And um, after all the year, like months of us, you know, um, going through the process with him, and, and, and I said, hey, by the way, I guess my ex-husband actually was baptized. And he said, oh, well, that's really great. He's like, here, I'll take this. And he's like, here's this one-page document, and you're done. <laughs> um, because we didn't get married in the Catholic Church. And so, um, so I was free um, and able to get married, um, but I'm really, really glad that I went through the whole process um, because that was um, very freeing for me and I was able to see how, um, how God really wants marriage to be from that standpoint. Um, and so um, we got married and one of the verses that Father Frank, who is the priest who married us, um, used at our wedding was the Ecclesiastes 4.12, which says, um, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not uh, quickly broken. And um, we have a picture in our house of um, the three strands, so one coming this way, one coming this way, one coming this way, and then all three are braided down, and so it makes a cross, right? And, um, and I think that that's a really powerful um, way to describe marriage because we can't do it on our own. We can't even just do it the two of us. We have to have God in there as our base. Um, I know many times we talk about it as a triangle. I think people have heard it talked about as a triangle where it's you, your spouse, and then God's at the top. And the closer each of you are to God individually, the closer you are to each other. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful images of how we're called to live our life, right? Is to be closer to God so that we can be closer to each other. So, um, so fast forward, um, I, shortly after we got married, um, I got pregnant with our oldest daughter, Raina, um, who is 15 now, and um, he was on deployment the whole pregnancy, so he missed all of it, and um, he showed up two weeks before she was born, so he skates in, you know, gets to be there for the whole beautiful birth and, and everything, um, and then we moved, she was five months old um, mm -hmm. when we got stationed, or no, three and a half, four months, I guess, four months old, when we got stationed um, to move to Mississippi. Now, I'd been living in California for nine years, and I had mentioned to you that my friends were really the hands and feet of Christ for me during my divorce, and it was, um, it was really hard for me to leave California um, because they were, um, they were so, so instrumental in my life, and... Um, and here we are moving to the depths of Mississippi. Um, and so um, we get there, and, and Ali knows a whole bunch of people because he was stationed there previously. So he's in his glory, and I don't know anybody. And the Southern hospitality is amazing um, unless you're trying to work. And then you're infiltrating and you're crossing a border. Like that Southern hospitality is really kind unless you're actually trying to do things. So I got called a Yankee to my face when I was at work. Um, I got told to stop meddling in their charts, which I thought was really fascinating. I don't even know what that means. Um, anyway, so um, we were there for you know about a month and I found out I was pregnant with Kaylin. Um, and I just started a new job, so I wasn't super happy about that. And we'll go into a little bit more um, details about that. But I think um, during that time also, Ali was, you know, he was back at the place where he'd gone in to join the church, and there we were also um, back with Father Frank, who was his, um, his priest and his mentor and one of his dear, dear friends. And, um, and so he was spending a lot of time um, doing a lot of, um, I don't know, prayer things that, that really are on the structure of what deacons and priests do. Um, and so I'll let you tell that story then. Yeah. So my faith life began very intellectually. I had a very intellectual conversion. Um, but the prayer life was something I had not built up. Um, but coming back to Mississippi with Father Frank's uh, mentorship, I started to grow. And so I thought um, that I would just start by reading the Divine Office and start praying the Office every day uh, and, the, and the, uh, the Rosary. And so I started to really kind of build in a very kind of robust 
per life, which is hard to do, and it takes a lot of time, particularly if you're starting from zero and going to 60 miles an hour, like that, that was. Um, and so I, I was spent a lot of time, and at the time I was getting a master's in philosophy, uh, followed by a master's in theology. So I was immersed in this. I'm like reading Thomas Aquinas. And so I was very much living, you know, one might describe a monastic-like life uh, there. And I just kind of envisioned this, like, I'm trying to become a saint, doing my very best. In the meantime, she's, you know, just kind of just trying to live our marriage, right, uh, with that, with a guy who's, like, thinking more about, you know, living, you know, uh, the life of a monk uh, or almost desiring that more than uh, to be together in a marriage. So it was, it was hard uh, for Mary uh, during that time. Yeah. So there was one point in time, you know, I was, I just remember taking a shower. I was in the shower and then she's in the bathroom and she's like, you have to remember that your first, first vocation is to marriage. It's not to, you're not a monk. You're not a priest. <laughs> your first vocation is to be my husband and to be a father to our kids. And I'm like, that was like a, a serious, like slap in the face. It's just a wake up call. It said, listen, okay, I, I need to adjust myself to realize that, Hey, I'm married and I need to live the life of a good husband and father more than, and that's going to look different than, than the life of a priest or a deacon or, uh, or religious. And so I need to, I need to adjust that expectate, my own expectation about what a holy life as a father looks like. Yeah. Not less holy, just different. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, um, so, um, one of the things that we have grown and, and worked on in our marriage is, um, making sure that we are serving serving each other so that we can continue to develop, right? Because our, our, my relationship with God is not based on what he does and vice versa. Um, it is based on what I do. And, and, and so, but we have to have time for that, right? Because the busyness of jobs and kids and, and also quality time with each other, we need to make sure we're also, and first and foremost, carving out that time for God. And so really allowing that time for us to, um, you know, go to adoration or, or, um, you know, prayer time and things like that and working that out so that we're not both wanting to do it at the same time and leaving the kids to fend for themselves or, or anything like that. And um, when, after it was, I guess it was in Texas, after Natalie was, oh, sorry, um, after Natalie was born, um, she was about five, six months old and there was a retreat, um, a women's retreat. And so it would have been the first time, Kirena was three, um, Kaylin was two and then Natalie was six months old and it was the first time that I had um, gone away for more than two or three hours um, and so he was like yeah it'll be fine I'll I'll take all three kids you need to do this this is important um, and so I went for two and a half days Friday night to Sunday morning on a on a beautiful spiritual retreat and I came back in on Sunday morning and um some random women in the church were holding my children, oh. <laughs> and he was in tears. <laughs> ugly cry tears. It was like really ugly. Um, and so um, <laughs> it was like okay, but it was important, right? Because it, it was it was his way of sacrificially serving um, for the very first time for an extended period of time to allow me to go, to go away and have that rejuvenation um, in the spiritual life. So. But I think in that, in that time where she left, I really learned, I had to learn how to be a father uh, in that time. I couldn't just rely on her to do all the stuff and think about all the kids. And if I forgot a diaper uh, or change of clothes, then natural consequences. All of a sudden, now I got a kid who's <laughs> dirty and I'm, I've got nothing to do with that child or there's no food or, you know, those things are starting to happen to me one after another and our one kid's melting down or someone's cutting someone else's hair and just trying not like all of those things are happening and uh, just trying to realize, okay, I, I need to step up my, my parenting game. Uh, and so I, don't, I just want to go back to one thing that Mary was talking about with regard to different spiritual lives because I think there was some time where you know, I was really into this. It's a very intellectual, like prayer, rigorous prayer. And then I would see Mary's spiritual life and I would, I mean, I would be thinking, well, I, I, I'm res partially responsible for her salvation. I don't see her doing these things. So I feel like she's not doing what she needs to do as, as a Catholic. Uh, and then she, on her side, felt judged by me. She's like, you're judging me. You know, like we're different. Um, but, she, and I think she felt like she had to do, had to do some of those things as well in order to be holy. Um, but I think all, even the last maybe five years or so, you've come to peace with my spiritual life is going to look different than your spiritual life. And it's okay if it looks mm -hmm. different. 
they always you talk about the the head and the heart of our faith, right? So he he leans more on the head of the, of the life of, of the, our faith life, and I tend to lean more on the heart of the faith life. Um, but you still need both, right? And so um, and that's the beauty of marriage as well, right? As it's drawing each other closer to God, right? He's he's helping me um, do a little bit more intellectual stuff than I'm you know, would be inclined to otherwise. And then I remind him that not everybody needs the sort of truth. Sometimes we need the heart of truth, right, um, as we work through that. And so um, I, I think that's part of that, that give and take of, of marriage. And, um, but I, I will say that it definitely is um, something that is different, right? Um, growing up in my Protestant background, um, Spending a lot of time in just quiet silence um, and spontaneous prayer and just conversation, um, meditating with God rather than reading and reading and reading is, is what I'm, I'm more inclined to do. And so I think that um, being at peace with the differences and understanding and, and, um, and loving those differences and knowing that they just draw um, both, draw closer to that. So... Um, a little bit from obviously from turning to God first, and, and it needs to always be in that order, but we also turn towards our spouse second, um, not letting the craziness of life, not letting the craziness of children and things like that get in the way of um, our relationship as well. And so um, I think God calls us to, I think it was said that, you know, in John, Jesus calls us to a higher love, right? He calls us to Love one another like he loves us, not like Leviticus, which is love one another as you love yourself, right? Um, and so it's so important that when we are turning towards God, we're also turning towards our spouse and loving our spouse as Jesus loves us, um, which is harder. <laughs> um, and it's important to love when it's hard. And this is where that love is a choice <laughs> and I choose you um, comes back, right? It's not just a feeling because the feelings go, um, right? And so circling back to when we were in Mississippi, four months um, postpartum with Raina, um, new town, new job, don't know anybody. He's off, you know, getting like 80 master's degrees and living his own life. And I find out I'm pregnant. And obviously I'm excited um, for the life that's within me. Um, but in the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm holding it. Um, in the lack of um, total trust in God, I was not happy with the timing, okay? I was not happy that I was pregnant again so shortly after, you know, I was tired of everybody being like, you know what causes that, right? Um, you're a pharmacist. Um, I was also, you know, very sick. Um, and he was not happy with um, how tired I was and how sick I was. And he was like, you weren't like this last time. I'm like, you weren't there last time. You were on the ship. And I didn't have another human being to have to take care of, right? And so I was a grumpy Gus. Um, I was a really grumpy Gus. Um, and it was a really low point of our marriage um, because I was just not happy. I was tired. I was nauseated. I was on two different medications to control the nausea so I could stay out of the hospital. And I had a six-month-old, you know, whom I couldn't feed because she was starting on solids and that made me throw up. <laughs> and the only silver lining was is that he had to change all the poopy diapers. <laughs> and that tradition continued through all of our children. So it was fabulous. Um, um, but um, there was a point in our marriage where we were literally probably just roommates. And, um, and of course, in the uh, very calm very like hormonally steady situation that I was in I came to him and I was like you don't love me anymore <laughs> and um and he was kind of like well I've resigned myself to the fact that this is where our marriage is going to be which was just heartbreaking to me that he was he was I knew he wasn't going to leave me because you know we were in this together for life and we'd made a commitment but it wasn't fun right it wasn't happy at that point because we were, I was miserable and I was making him miserable um, because of it. But he chose to love me anyway. He chose to stay. He chose to, um, you know, 
say, well, I resigned myself to that. This is, this is what it's going to be, and, um, which was hard, um, but it was also a wake-up call to me. And, um, and so we had, to, we had to work at it, um, and uh, we talked to Father Frank, um, who was actually the priest who married us too, by the way, who lives in Mississippi. He'd come out to California. Um, and so we started talking about what do we do and how do we, how do, we do that. And he, I remember him saying, you guys should be, um, instead of keeping score of who does what chore, you should be trying to outdo the other person. You should always try to win to see how, if you can serve him more than he serves you. Um, instead of being like, he didn't take out the garbage, you should try to outdo him um, from that standpoint. Um, and so, and so anticipating that and using each other's love languages um, to understand that. And when I started looking for ways to serve him um, and started to understand his love languages a little bit better, I was able to see that he really was loving me. He was loving me in his own love language and I just wasn't hearing it correctly um, because I was not hearing it because I was looking for things through my love language, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a little bit. But um, through that, um, we were able to do a lot of healing and came out stronger. And um, one of the things that we started to do through that is, is really kind of having those um, weekly meetings or <laughs> weekly touch points to, to really just talk about like what's coming up, what can I do for you, what is on your docket, what's on my docket, and kind of trying to manage the crazy. Um, and as we've continued through um, moving to other places before we got here, because um, we went from Mississippi down to Texas, back to California, and then here, um, and then moving three times when we were here, because, you know, it's been two years, it's time to move again. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, it's, um, it's really been what I'll call an ounce of prevention in, in our um, it maintains the lines of communication. It helps us um, to have that reliance on God and reliance on each other, um, especially when it looks like we can't get there from here because there's just too much going on. Um, so um, one of the, I think we talked a little bit about the love languages, but the other book that I forgot to mention was the, the Love Dare. I don't know if any, if you guys have heard of it. Um, and that was something that Father Frank had suggested we work on together. Um, and it's actually based on a true story. It's a Protestant, um, I think they made a movie out of it with Kirk Cameron. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, but it's based on a, a gentleman who wanted to give up on his marriage and his father had dared him to spend 30 days doing something nice for his wife each day um, without her realizing it. And then by the end of the 30 days, he'd kind of fallen back in love with his wife. And, um, and so we had, um, we'd gone through that book together and kind of challenged each other for that. And, and again, it's, it's very, you know, Christ-centered. Um, it's about praying for your spouse every day um, and praying for um, their best interests um, over your own selfish ambitions. Uh, from that standpoint, so. Yes, yeah, so um, that, that was a really hard time, and that was one of those things where you're empty, and then she's empty, right? And then so, just when one person gets a little bit in their tank, then the other person does something to hurt their feelings, and their tank's empty, and you're just kind of both skimming off the off the bottom. And at those times, then the worst of us comes out. And so, you know, and that, and that, and that you know, Mary had trust issues because her her former husband had violated her trust over and over and over again. So then. So she was lacking in trust for me. Uh, she had some concerns that, you know, I had, I was doing some things that I, I shouldn't be doing. And so she was always wanting to check my phone and this and that. And that was really hurtful for me as well. She's like, gosh, um, I try to be as, as above board as I possibly can. And it was really hard to get through that. And those, in those situations where marriage is so hard, um, we have to lean on God to get us out of it. That's God is the way to get out of it and to, and to just to pray and to rely on him and, and his his love and his mercy and his grace and and to step back from and kind of get over ourselves i was really i mean she's it was a joke about changing every diaper but i was really grumpy about changing every single diaper every time there was a dirty diaper she said go see your daddy so you can go change the diaper and i was like oh again you know and i was a, a new a new father and so like changing every diaper was a big deal for me and then trying to like corral the six-month-old because your, your poor wife is sick and is not feeling it, and so you're on baby duty all the time. That was, that was draining for me, and then she was very prickly, and so it was a very hard, it was a very hard uh, time for us, but God pulled us out of that just one 
little step at a time uh, together, uh, the commitment to working together and the commitment to keep God at the center of our relationship. Like that brought us out of that, that time where we really could have very easily called it quits at that moment. So. And it was with the, um, it was when I just had to let go, right? I had to abandon all of that baggage and luggage that I was carrying from my previous marriage and the trust issues that I had. I had to just let it go. I had to say, I can't spend my whole time worrying and, you know, I had to, I had to just trust that God would take care of it and provide because he provided a Lee at a time when I didn't think that I would ever be able to be married again um, because I was, you know, my life was over at 28. Um, and, and he brought Ali into my life to show me what true godly covenantal marriage should be like. And yet I was still hanging on. I was still trying to control things. And it wasn't until I let that go um, that we are, um, we were able to get past that part. So. All right. Yes and yes and yes. <laughs> um, you know, and little by little, right? I mean, it wasn't like I just, you know, dropped the bags at the side, right? It was, it was repeatedly, um, you know, trusting that, the God, that God would provide um, and that if there was something for me to know, that he would reveal it to me. And then it was over time, you know, just um, Aaliyah's full of integrity and and his over and over and over, and his patience with me when I accused him of having a second family in Mississippi. Um, <laughs> and just saying, you know, really? You know, <laughs> but so he. I was on deployment. I was on <laughs> aircraft carrier in the middle of the Persian Gulf. And we're on the phone, and she'd gotten a piece of mail from a house I was investing in down in southern Mississippi, a little location. And she, <laughs> what is this? You didn't tell me about this house. I knew you had another house in Mississippi, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I will say that although, like, I let all my crazy out at the beginning of our marriage, and it's gotten much better since then. So. <laughs> so. Is that true? Yeah, it is very true. Yes, yes. I'm very glad to say. So. Yep. <laughs> but it's through that, you know, that, that patience, um, and, and like I said, through, through prayer, and just trusting that God will, God will provide it, and and remembering that, you know, um, there, God created, you know, wonderful men in this world, um, and not all of them have that issue. So I have to be okay with it, and and I am. I'm. I don't have. I don't worry about it at all anymore. It's been years. <laughs> so anyway, we're gonna switch gears just a tiny bit, because um, obviously. With having God first and with having um, your spouse second, um, we still have to detach from all the worldly things that bombard us um, on a day-to-day -day basis, including wealth and honors and prestige and all of those things. So um, when we first started getting married, my dad, when grow, again, growing up in, in the church I grew up in, my parents were very uh, philanthropic and my dad had challenged me when I had first gotten out of college to read a book called Fields of Gold. It's like a little tiny book. Um, it'd probably take two hours to read. Um, but it's really about tithing and about tithing in the biblical way that, that God calls us to tithe. Call, tithing by giving our first fruits of everything. And so um, I had been living by that principle because that's um, what my dad and my mom had taught me. And when we got married, I, we started, you know, obviously you talk about finances. And, and so we had started and, and I was like, you know, and we need to give to the church. We need to do this. And, and I, I had at the point in time that I was being generous by giving out like five, $20 checks to various charities at the time, like hundred bucks a month. I was like, yes, I am super <laughs> generous. Pat myself on the back and I'll check the tithing box. <laughs> Uh, and then Mary says, oh, no, we're doing 10%. And I said, what? How are we going to pay our bills? Like, how does, this, how does this work? Like, how is that possible? And she said, if you trust in God, uh, he will take care of you. Uh, and it's been absolutely true since, <laughs> since that day. We've, uh, we've, you know, bit the bullet and we've given 10% and God has blessed us tremendously. Yeah. And he always so. takes care of it. Like, every time we think that things aren't going to work out and we're not going to 
make whatever month something happens, something comes in or something, yeah. or an, you know, a, a refund comes or something happens that, that it's, that it's truly just takes care of it. And mm -hmm. I call it the, the brown sugar principle. I think it's in Matthew where it talks about like a good measure, you know, pushed in and then the cup overflows. Like it's, it's like brown sugar. You can just keep packing it in. Right. <laughs> and so when we give God the, our first fruits, um, and that's for everything. It's our time, our talents, our treasures, and things like that. Then he, then he always provides. And so um, that's why when, when we are super busy, right, and making sure that we still have time for prayer um, for, and then for each other and making sure that those are our unmovable rocks, right, in our marriage and our time, um, that, that's what's so important. And so um, one of the things that we've always wanted was a big family. And so after Natalie, we experienced secondary infertility um, for a few years, and, um, and it was a very difficult time because we had always wanted a big family, and we thought that God was calling us to a large family, um, but he wasn't calling it to us that we, the way we had planned, right? Um, again, so once we let go of our own plans, he brought um, fostering into our lives. Um, and as I mentioned, we fostered um, two children. Um, for about three and a half years, um, Barry and Kinsley, they came into our home when uh, Barry was two and a half and Kinsley was a year. And I'd been praying for, like, I was like, okay, well, if we're going to do this foster thing, I really um, would love two more kids and I'd like them to be about a year and about three years old. So that'd be great, God, you know. And so then when Barry and Kay Kinsley came into our lives, I was like, wow, God answered my prayer. This is amazing, <laughs> right? And so, um, and they were with us for a long time. Um, obviously, we were very attached to them, but... God had other plans, um, and he um, uh, had, had really just called us to be a temporary um, in their lives, um, and um, he brought Emily, their mom, into our lives, and, and we worked really, really hard to develop a relationship with her, and it's still rocky. Um, she'll talk to us sometimes, and then we won't hear from her for months, um, which is really hard, but we have to just let that go and trust that God um, has them. So um, one of my daily prayers is I pray for um, all of my children to become great saints and doctors of the church. I pray for um, Ali to have wisdom and strength to guide our family. And I pray for uh, Barry Kinsley and Emily to be guarded and protected by God. And that is my daily prayer during Mass. Um, and I try to get to daily Mass as often as I can. Um, but those are the things that um, are in our in our lives from that standpoint. We also fostered three other children from a sibling set um, for, I don't know, two and a half months. So it was a, a much shorter period. They were um, ended up being able to go with their grandparents. That was a very difficult situation as well. And we really had to rely um, and, and spend a lot of time um, talking to God about whether this was the right thing um, for our family and for our girls um, because it was just a very difficult situation um, that they were in and there was some behaviors that we were having to deal with in that standpoint. But through it all, you know, we'd ask our girls, like, do you want to foster some more? Do you think this is okay? Should we, you know, we talked about, is this right for our family? Do we need to... Um, stall or whatever and our girls every time was like well but if we don't open our home to them then who will and I was like okay um that's you know that's important we're one of the few foster homes in Anne Arundel County that can take more than two kids too so <laughs> when they come they come in droves right? <laughs> <laughs> so um but with that I think it's just important that it may not look like our plans may not look the way um or the way God wants them to look, right? But we have to trust that God's plans for our lives are, are better. Um, and, and the joy of, of seeing Barry and Kinsley be able to be reunited with their mom and the, the fact that she's clean and, and she's, you know, she has every um, opportunity now and, um, and they deserve to be with their mom. And that's the most beautiful thing um, that they are together. So... Fostering is hard. Uh, the first night um, when Barry and Kinsley came, we were so excited about them. We ran out and got kid, uh, uh, seats for the kids in the cars and strollers and all these things. And then they came in and they, they reeked of cigarettes and urine and we got them cleaned. And uh, Kinsley was just very, you know, just non-reactive. Um, and then Barry was very excited. All of his teeth were rot out. His mouth was all messed up. And 
we went to put him to bed, and um, he was not ready for bed. Uh, and so he, I, so I brought him. It was him like to 10 p.m. Though it was, like, it was late. It was time for bed. Uh, and so I am in the room, and he is starting to get upset because he doesn't want to stay in the room with me. So he is grabbing everything he can, and he's throwing it at me, and he's screaming at me. This is our first experience with Foster, uh, and so this is like really intense. I'm like 40 year old man, and I'm intimidated by this little three year old kid who was like ah, full on Gollum uh, and just like going crazy uh, in the room. And I was like. Oh my gosh, we've made a terrible mistake. This has been this is awful. Like, we get these kids back, uh, and this the first month or so was really hard with these kids because they had no sense of a routine. Uh, he would just roll in and open up the refrigerator, just kind of help himself to whatever was there, and he'd get some for Kinsley. Uh, he couldn't speak at all. They were way behind in their speech, and so they would get very angry. And so there's a lot of fits and, and anger and, and issues, and uh, and so that was really hard on our family. And you know, within a few days, uh, Kaylin said. Uh, you know, when are they going to go back? You know, I want my room back. I, I want to give them back. Uh, but I, fast forward three and a half years, uh, and the day that they left, we all just, we just wept, like, violently as a family. Uh, and the kids, their hearts have grown so much. Uh, and the trust that we placed in God over the course of each and every, every day, every step of the way where you're walking with these kids and kind of nursing them back to health and then getting them to where they're actually flourishing has just been, it was tremendous. Like, you feel like you're giving a lot. Yes. Is it inconvenient? Yes. But do you receive so much in return? You, absolutely. We, so we've gotten so much from each and every child that's come, come into our home. And um, so we're still, we're still open. We're still doing it. Uh, so it's a little crazy, um, but, it's, um, but it's a lot of fun uh, along the way. So speaking of fun, uh, Divine Mercy Academy. So uh, DMA, we started, we, in fact, we got a number of DMA. If you're associated with DMA, can you wave your hands? Yay! Yay! Woo! All right, DMA folks. Uh, so uh, DMA um, was never in my dream of anything that I ever wanted to do or envisioned myself doing. Um, but it became a necessity uh, as uh, we came here and I wanted to get my kids the best education and not just an education for a job, but an education for eternity uh, where they would be set to go to heaven. Uh, and... Uh, I was excited initially getting here, but then I was disappointed uh, with what, what we ended up with while we were here. Um, and then only through a series of uh, moments where I was exposed to classical education, learned about this classical education, and realized, hey, the classical education is what brought me into the Catholic Church. I was convinced by Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, uh, this philosophy of the truths of the Catholic faith. That's what I want for my kids. I want them to be able to cut through all the nonsense and to, and to see truth and to seek truth and to want that more than anything else. Uh, so we ended up, you know, just, we had a lot of conversations back and forth, and some of them were pretty about whether we were going to get the, uh, a school started. And was like, what are we doing starting a school? We have no business starting a school. We're uh, not educators. We're not educators. We have no background in this whatsoever. Um, but it was just one of those things where every step of the way, God provided for us. He brought amazing people into our orbit who are passionate about this, who have skills that we don't have, who have knowledge that we don't have, uh, and they've just, just set to work and saying, I can do that. I love doing that. Uh, and just in, in the families who want to bring their kids in and just every step of the way. But there have been massive challenges throughout the past five, six years getting this school started. And every year brings different challenges, but every year brings more amazing people uh, and more momentum and the ability to do these things. And so we started with an idea, and now we have 140 kids uh, and grades, you know, K through eight, uh, and we have got 60 kids applied for next year, uh, and so the school is rolling. We have an amazing faculty and staff on the team in the school, and and the stories are, are the reason that all of this is worth it. And people tell me that you would not believe what my child said or my child did at home. They, the child led us in prayer, or the child put up their device and they're no longer sitting they're reading their books, you know, or they're drawing again like they've never drawn so, before. Just those things are just And part of amazing. that is because of the, what we've decided when we were starting was, is here's our unmovable rocks. So we wanted the kids to go to mass every day. We wanted them to pray the rosary every day. We wanted them to pray the Angelus at noon and the chaplet. So those are our unmovable rocks. We start with mass, we say the Angelus, the, in their classrooms in some way, shape, or form that's age-appropriate, they do a part or all of the rosary, and then that we end the day with the chaplet, and then we fit school in between there, which is a real challenge for our tutors, and they'll tell you. <laughs> but uh, but those, were, those were the unmovable rocks that we put forth, and we said, God first, God first, and then, and then everything else will come. Um, you know, we want them to be smart, we want them to be scholars, but we want them to be saints first. And that was, that's really the, the path. And, and like he said, God's provided 
we don't know anything about education at all. And yet he's brought amazing people into our life to, um, you know, people literally coming up to us and said, I heard you're starting the school. I'm classically trained in X. Can I help you? Um, and so it's really been an amazing journey from that standpoint. Um, so we are running short on time. Okay. So we will stop telling so many stories. But um, we do want to talk about detachment from honors a little bit. Um, so when we got here, he was stationed at the Naval Academy. and Yeah, so my goal was to come to the Naval Academy and then stay on as a professor for the next 10, 15 years. Um, and I thought I had everything laid flat for that. Um, but I didn't. I failed to promote to the next rank, which I thought I had in the bag, but I didn't. Uh, even though I had... a very good uh, um, marks for all my performance. Uh, it didn't happen for me, and it didn't happen. I was just, even though I was number one, number one, number one, just failed to promote, failed to promote, failed to promote. And that was really hard for me as a military person. Like, you're always, like, performance. You need to pr promote. And, and if you don't promote, then that is, like, for me, it was like the thorn in my flesh. I was embarrassed that I wasn't promoting. Uh, and so it was... God, like God saying, no, no, I don't want you to continue in the military. And this is my way of doing that. And I've got other and I've got better plans for you. Because I, if I promoted, I would either have stayed at the Naval Academy and I would be there working a full-time job uh, and not have started Divine Mercy Academy. Or I would have been shipped out to some you know, ship somewhere or someplace where I would be away from my family or not at all. So none of these other things would have happened if I had done that. And so still, you know, there are moments where I'm, I'm a retired lieutenant commander. I feel like embarrassed by that. But at the same time, I know that I trust in God. God did this on purpose so that he had other plans and, and I just trust in him. And these have borne tremendous fruit. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. And um, as you probably saw at the beginning, I work, um, I'm a pharmacist, I work at the University of Maryland. Last Lent, um, I was, we had started this really big project and somehow I got put in charge of one specific area, but it, it just has snowballed. Um, and so it's this really large implementation. I'm totally out of my, like, out of my element um, from that standpoint, but yet, um, I'm still part of it. And at one point in time, I thought it was totally going to fail. Like, I was like, oh my gosh. And, and I honestly felt like um, I was being set up to be the scapegoat. And I, was, so I came home and I was like, I'm going to get fired. And it's going to be so embarrassing. It's so awful. And, um, and it was really about the fear of being fired. And I was very attached, right, to the fact that I cannot get fired. Like, I just, I, I can't get fired. I don't want to be a person who gets fired. And he looked at me and he's like, well, maybe you should get fired. And I was like, oh, why would you say that? But he's like, if you are that attached to your job, then, then you need to reevaluate. And so, again, the beauty of marriage is to keep us humble um, <laughs> in a nice way. Um, but he's right. He was absolutely right. And it took him saying, well, maybe you should get fired for me to say, oh, I am putting too much stock in, in my job and in my reputation with that. And I needed to do a little bit of a gut check there to, to, um, to be able to let that go and say, okay, well, if I get fired, it's not the end of the world. Like, I can do these other things and, and um, we can go on. I didn't get fired yet, um, but, but, you know, it'll work out because so God always got a plan. So we prioritize family in our, in our family. And so one of the things that we do uh, is we take, this past summer, we took an RV trip across the country uh, over basically the East Coast. Uh, and so Mary worked from the RV, I worked from the RV, and we prioritized that. And that would be most important for us. And I can tell you that trip that we took this summer was Amazing. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. Having your whole family in a very small space for a very long period of time causes a little friction. But I have to tell you, we, were, we have never been closer as a family than when we were at the end of that summer. And it just made me like, want to jump back in the RV and go back again. And so that's been our family plan is every summer we're going to spend nine, ten weeks together driving across the country in an RV. Uh, and it's been tremendous for us as a family. And so. I'm not call you Cousin Eddie. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> All right, so just wrapping up here, uh, to be poor in spirit, uh, God has to be number one. He's, he is your anchor. He is um, the one who has to be in charge in your marriage. Uh, and then second most important is your spouse uh, and just prioritizing the other and just kind of getting over yourself and just serving the other in every way that uh, any time there's an opportunity. And then just detaching from wealth, from honor, from jobs, just get rid of that stuff because at, at the end of the day, none of those things matter. Like what matters is God, what matters is your spouse and getting everyone to heaven. So 
Um, we are, because we are long-winded, um, we are out of time. Um, so I'm going to challenge you to um, kind of make mental note of these questions. This was going to be a, a, a little, we are going to give you a couple minutes for discussion with your spouse of, you know, what is the one thing that God's placed on your heart today to, to take away? And, um, and how are you and your spouse going to implement that, right? Because it's one thing to come listen to a talk, but as God calls us, we're on mission, right? Um, he says, go make disciples. So how are you going to change in your marriage with your spouse in order to put God first, put your spouse second? And what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And how will you track that progress? Um, so spend some time. I challenge you to do that. Um, maybe not you know, right now, but when you get home and do that. So with that, any questions? I know questions are what's standing between us and dessert, <laughs> which I would love to say thank you for all the amazing food. Yes, um, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Mitch? You're welcome. I do have one question. Yeah. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen smoke? <laughs> African or European? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Emily? We try to, yes, it, yes, we, we, it has to be, it's usually either Saturday or Sunday. Sometimes, I mean, we try to just find a time, you know, I mean, there was a period of time when we actually had to set a time because otherwise it wasn't, it just didn't happen. Um, but lately it's just been, Hey, are you ready to talk? Yes. Let's go talk. And then we just go through day by day. What does your Monday look like? Okay. Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? What does your Tuesday look like? Um, going through, who, do we need to go to confession this week? How are we going to get there? Who's going to do what? Um, kind of thing. And then, um, and then we also had some friends, again, my friends from California who um, were those hands and feet of Christ. They were a wonderful example to me, and it's something that they did in their marriage that we've taken into our marriage, which is being an intentional about a weekly date night. Um, and so in addition to our weekly meeting, we have a weekly date night and it looks different, you know, during, during the fall, it's, it's football, um, <laughs> during the rest of the year, it's a, it's, um, Thursday night. Sometimes it's a, a stay in. I mean, it doesn't have to be something fancy to spend money on. Um, it, it can be something simple as, um, renting a movie or, um, playing a game together or, you know, just going for a walk. We have friends who, who they take, you know, they, their kids are at a point where they can leave them home alone for a little bit and they go out and take a walk every night for 15 minutes just to connect, just whatever it is um, that works for your schedule. But being intentional and prioritizing. Well, thank you very much. They're welcome. We'd love to have them. <laughs> no, we will. All right, Deacon, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.